0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Good evening. A new series, leading a legacy, and we start another five-week journey through the book of Second Timothy. And this year, we have covered uh, some some big issues. We've covered stuff like the significance of the church. And we saw that it's not just a religious institution and it's not just a little club, but in fact, it's the gathered people of God. And then we went in and uh, we, we dug through the book of Galatians and we saw the significance of the gospel. And we saw that the gospel is not just the ABCs, the building blocks of Christianity, but in fact, it's the A to Z of the entire Christian life, right? And then we looked at hope and we saw that how we view our future affects how we live the present. Three major areas, church, gospel, hope. You see in Second Timothy, Paul is in prison. He's no longer a free man, as we would have read in the back of the book of Acts. He's no longer under house arrest. It's not as much as a nice picture. He's rumoured to be in, the, I think it's the Marmoteen prison, it's called, uh, which was just a prison with a, with a hole in the top. It's a dark hole with a, a dark hole with a, a little hole in the top for a bit of light. In fact, you could see it if you go to that funny big white monument in Rome and you look out over the forum. It's down near the big arc type thing, if you've ever been there in Rome, uh, that you've seen there, the Ark of Triumph or whatever. No, that's in France. But... Um, but it's a real place it's a real it's a real prison you can go there and uh things are not looking so good for paul and it's in this environment where the uh, the uh, caesar has gone nuts uh emperor nero uh is is literally using christians uh on top of poles uh burn alive on the top of poles to light his garden at night it, 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 think gladiator with Russell Crowe and that style of Rome in which it's just a bloodbath for Christians. Remember, Nero sets, sets Rome on fire and he blames the Christians for it. It's, it's in that sort of um, background that, that happened not long after this letter. We believe this letter to be written. That's the background that Paul is writing here and under the shadow of death. And here's the funny thing. In the light of eternity and therefore buoyed by hope, I'm going to ask you the question, if, 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 if you're writing like this, almost Paul's last will and testament, what, what would you write about? What would you put down in the letter? In a situation in which he's only going to escape this by death, in the light of eternity buoyed by hope, Paul exhorts young Timothy to look after two things, the church and the gospel. Hope, church and gospel. I'm glad Paul could confirm for me tonight that we've been looking at the right topics this year at Northside Community Church in terms of what we're teaching about. And so in that sense, in 2 Timothy, we're going to look at leadership lessons from Paul. And I hear people saying, well, hang on, what if I'm not a leader? Well, what Paul's talking about is not so much uh, leadership uh, out of a basis of position, but out of a basis of purpose. And we'll see... That it's Timothy, uh, that he's writing to this young Timothy. Uh, Paul uh, exhorts him to preserve what he's received at whatever cost and is to hand this on to faithful people who in turn will be able to teach others. uh, Chapter 2, verse 2, we'll look at that next week. In simple terms, Paul is saying, Timothy, you are a torchbearer of the flame that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're looking at the video clip tonight. We are called to be torchbearers. Now, some people are already asking why the babushkas... I love a good babushka. (laughs) Always loved him as a kid. You see, what I'm trying to say is, in in that sense, we're to produce a resemblance and a likeness and a similarity to the master babushka. That's Jesus, if you're wondering who that was right on the end. (laughs) And and, and so that's a question I have. The whole series, uh, the next five weeks, we're going to ask this question of you tonight, each and every week that we go into this series. How do you view the Christian life? I mean, is it just a one-generational... Um, personal spiritual journey in which you only ever reap the benefits. The, the, the underlying thrust of, of Paul's purpose of writing it to Timothy is that he's saying, Timothy, you've got to go and start making some babushkas for the kingdom of God here. People that are in resemblance of me, young Timothy, and I in turn, like he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. I as a resemblance of the master babushka, Jesus Christ. So, are you up for that? see, Because all of us, whether we see ourselves as leaders or not, we're leading a legacy. The people around us, the people that we influence, whether it's for good or for bad in our lives, family, friends, we're making a name for ourselves, we're building a legacy. And my question to you this evening is, what kind of kingdom legacy are you building? Tonight we will read through 2 Timothy uh, chapter. 1 verses 13 through to 14. I'm not going to read through the whole story, but remember it's a letter. So it's good to have your Bibles with you in church to read through in those bits of my sermon where you start drifting off. At least you could go back to the word of God. Uh, but, But I'm just going to read from verses 13 to 14, but encourage you to read through this whole letter. It's not a big letter, five chapters. I've got the whole thing up on my wall at the moment. In the office, you could read it all through pretty quickly. And verse 13, Paul says, What you've heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Jesus Christ, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, I was wondering if anyone here, speaking of torchbearers, was anyone here ever a torchbearer for the uh, Sydney Olympics? Oh, dang I hope you could come preach a sermon for me, but that's all right. You see, what I'm trying to say tonight is that I never got to be a torchbearer in the Olympics. I was ready to go. I would sort of was doing my stretches each time I heard it was going to come through French's Forest, and, and I used to practice with a little bit of the vacuum cleaner around the house, and I would hold that thing high with pride, and, uh, but I never got the chance to be a torchbearer. But if I did, I figure that torchbearers would always remember where the flame has come from, wouldn't you agree? They're part of something much bigger. And if there was one word to to characterize this passage, it would be remember. Paul says, don't forget. Don't forget where you've come from. Most of all, don't forget who you are. You see, your sense of giftedness, your sense of your call, your sense of your heritage will determine the sorts of decisions and how you act as a leader. That's why Paul says to Timothy, Don't forget where you've come from. Verse 5, I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm now persuaded also lives in you. What I like about this is that the Bible demonstrates what's taken psychology a couple of thousand years to catch up to, and that is that you're inextricably a product of your heritage, your parents' Some of us have been incredibly blessed by our parents, the way that Timothy was. And uh, what we see here is that we're often the result of someone else's legacy, whether it be parents or friends or a mentor. And from a faith perspective, the principle operates much the same way. Look, think about it. Let me ask you the question. How did you end up in church here tonight? How did did you end up becoming part of God's community? I'd be willing to put money on it, not that I'm a betting man, that it was because there was someone who was an incredible influence, Someone who shared the gospel with you. Someone that you saw characteristics in that you looked up to and said, what's different about them? You discovered they were this funny thing called a Christian. You might have had a parent like timothys his single mum, that just instilled a great faith for you and praised God for that, but were a result of, the le- of a legacy. And so Paul says, don't forget where you came from. But he also says, now don't forget who you are. Now, why would Paul say to Timothy, don't forget who you are? It's because the Timothy to whom this letter is being addressed is being thrust into a position of responsible Christian leadership that is going to be far beyond his human capacity. That's what is facing Timmy at the moment. He's, he's 15 years, he's been Paul's companion. He's a trusted apostolic delegate, and he's now the leader of the church in Ephesus. And, he, and, and even greater responsibility is going to come onto him when Paul eventually passes away. Paul knows this arrest is going to end in death. And here's the funny thing. Humanly speaking, Tim is totally unfit for things. All right, what are some of the things we know about him? For example, he was young. Don't we all, all, anyone who's ever been a youth leader has quoted that verse from 1 Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're young. We know Timothy, we don't know what his age is, but we know that he's comparatively young compared to the wrinkled Paul by now. The other thing is he's, he's prone to sickness all throughout the first letter. Paul's always talking about his frequent ailments. Timmy was always getting sick. He was timid by temperament, timid Timmy, naturally shy. You know, if he lived today, we'd call him an introvert. Uh, so he was young. He was prone to sickness. He was frail in physique, and nevertheless, he was being called into greater responsibilities for service for Jesus. And Tim is responsible to carry on the torch, the flame of the gospel that's about to drop from Paul's hands soon, and, and and he's probably feeling like he's inadequate. <laughs> My question here tonight is, do you think it's possible there's a few Timmies in the church this evening? Are you one who feels younger or weak or shy or inadequate? Then this letter's for you. You see, because here's the good news tonight, that God, I believe this is what God's saying tonight, God is calling you into, greater, into areas of service beyond your human capacity. That's, I hope that's good news. Yeah. It doesn't sound like good news because you're thinking, how the heck am I going to do that? And the given is, if we look at this chapter and the rest of the book, of, of course in the Christian life there's going to be fear. Of course in the Christian life there's going to be times of timidity. Of course in the Christian life there's going to be times of suffering. Of course in the Christian life there's going to be times of doubts and opposition and all sorts of things that have come, come against you. But yet it's at those times, most of all, people who are carrying the torch of the gospel need to remember where they've come from and who they are, what they're a part of, how you were called, the heritage you have come from, and most of all, who you are. Verse 70 says, Timmy, chin up. For God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And I love that Greek word for, for power, dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from. He's saying, come on, Timmy, you're God's dynamite. You get, you're going to explode with His power. And see, God is calling you into into areas beyond your capacity. But the great thing about it is, whenever God does that, He gives you the resources. He gives you the power to cope with it. So there is power. Look, have you ever seen an Olympic torch runner dawdling? All right, I'll carry the thing if I have to. No, no, they're not dawdling. They're excited. They're jumping up and down. They almost look a bit goofy in the silly Olympic outfit. But nonetheless, they are excited. There is a joy. There is an excitement. There's a power. Because they understand where the flame's coming from. They, they understand that they, they're remembering that they're part of something much bigger than they are. That is the joy and the confidence that Paul has a Christ, as a Christian. And for Timothy, he, he, he was to catch that fire as well. Timothy knew that he was an inextricable product of his heritage, and for the Christian, we also know that we're the product of someone that's passed on their faith to us. Right? Got to remember. Now, the other thing that I would have practiced in my moments of being the ultimate Olympic torch runner, lycra and all, was that uh, that I believe torchbearers, as we see, we saw from the clip there, torchbearers light the torch in close proximity. Uh, that's, that's how it happens. Okay, you see, you know, they go up and they touch, touch the flames next to each other. That's the nature of the relationship between the addresor and the addressee of this letter. Uh, they were in close relationship. Listen to verses 2 to 4. To Timothy, my dear son. There's a bit of a clue. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God who I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears... I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. You know, look, come on. It's still true back then in the Bible. We're supposed to be thinking, come on, big boys don't cry. But there was there was tears. There was a closeness. There was an intensity of the relationship there. And look, what I'm trying to say is that the flame of the gospel is passed on in close relationship. Now, I'm not saying that people can't receive the gospel apart from close relationship. But, but here's the thing with, with torch bearing. Like apart from the remember the Barcelona Olympics in 1992, you know, Migos Parasimperi. Um, the way they lit the torch was just the most phenomenal thing I've ever seen And they, the guy came up and he lit an arrow And, and the archer like, just pegged that thing up and into the cauldron And the whole thing just took off and the crowd erupted like, Apart from the Barcelona Olympics, torches are not lit at a great distance That was an exception And it's in the same way, people often don't get the gospel from a distance Why? Because there, there are two things necessary to go from unbelief to belief. You see, that, that is um, credibility and plausibility. You see, the credibility of the Christian faith, is it true? Is it intellectually coherent? And plausibility, the simple question, does it work? Is, is the gospel credible? Is it, is it plausible? Now, in order for these things to happen, the, the, the Bible shows time and time again, you need two things. You need communication. And you need relationship. You see, communication is the credibility aspect of it. Part of my job, part of the burden that I have, is to get up here on a Sunday night and to try and convince whoever might be listening, particularly if you're a non-Christian, that the gospel is true, that it makes sense, that it's not you know it's not just a nice set of little principles or fairy tales that we Christians live by. That 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 in a sense it's true, as someone said. That you know, um, one of the great things about Christianity is in one of the great selling points of Christianity is not that. Well, it, it it makes your life exciting and it, it makes life wonderful. And, 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 and look, all those sorts of things are, are, are true about it, but at the heart of it, Christianity is true. It needs, there needs to be credibility, and that's part of what this job of, of communication is doing, preaching the Word of God. Whilst the purpose and the goal of communication of the Word of God is to demonstrate that it's true, it's credibility, that's not enough. You have to develop and and argue its plausibility. You have to show its plausibility that it can work. And that only happens in close relationship. You see, the Christian message really spreads and gets into the very guts of the city and the society around it when the church's relationships get so remarkable that they're inexplicable. in a a society in which people don't get close to one another, in a society when people are trying to keep a distance, in a society when uh, people are trying to tear each other down, our relationships in the church and and with one another should be so amazing and so beautiful and so wonderful that that makes no sense. Because ultimately, communication without relationships is like a tire without air. You see, we could keep doing the communication thing. It's not just the preaching. We could do the music and we could do all the whole setup of doing church and we could sort of communicate that. And, and a tire can run along uh, with a hole in it for if, if you just run it hard enough. If we just run this baby hard enough, then, then uh, we, we might get somewhere. But when you stop for a second, uh, the whole thing begins to go flat. You see, you need communication and you need the relationships at the same time. Uh, relationships relate to the communication as the air does to the tire. You can't have one without the other. Why, why do you think? We see it in, in, in our fearless leader that he's such a relational leader. Relationships are so key in this place. And it works the other way. If you have a place that's all relationships and no truth, no communication, then unless you're in that inner circle, unless you're part of that in group, unless you're part of the click, then you're going to walk right back out the door. We need both. Now, look, let me try and ground this here. You see, it's one thing to communicate the gospel, but people won't get it if they can't see how it works. It can be credible. The question everyone wants to ask you is, is it plausible? Does it work? And I think it's plausibility that Timothy needed. Because later in this book, Paul uh, says to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 10, are you, however, know about all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, endurance, persecution, suffering? What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, let the, yet the Lord rescued you, me from them all. Now, the question is, how did, how did Timothy know about all those sorts of things? I mean, did he go down to Kurong, pick up a little book that said the life and times of Paul the Apostle? No, he was with him. He was with him. We read through the books of Act that, that, that he was converted by Paul at Lystra in the first place as a teenager. He joined Paul on his first missionary journeys, and to stop all the Bruhaha from the Jews that they were trying to evangelize, Paul even got Timothy circumcised. I mean, talk about hands-on ministry. <laughs> talk about closeness of relationship. Getting to that level of share. Now I'm not sort of yeah, promoting that level of vulnerability, guys, but <laughs> They, they were in close relationship with one another. And why would Paul encourage Timothy like this? Put yourself in Timmy's shoes. He's seen all this sort of stuff happening to Paul. He's seen the suffering and the persecution. And here, Paul's in, in prison. This is hardly a good advertising campaign for discipleship, Right. And if I was in Tim's shoes, I'd be saying, Paul, you're a great teacher. Your theology is amazing. You'd write a great book to the church in in Rome. Uh, Intellectually, you're a genius. But if I could potentially end up like you, then how do I know the gospel is going to work? And then he would have got this letter. And in a sense, he would have seen the confidence and the security and the passion and the joy and the hope and whilst having witnessed all the suffering and stuff that went on in Paul's life, Timothy would have looked at his beloved mentor and his disciple and his literally pseudo father and discovered that the gospel is not only true, but the gospel actually works. You see, people don't get the gospel from a distance. You you might get the credibility, but we won't get the plausibility. And look quickly at uh, verses two to four again. Quickly, dear son, thankful for you, constantly remember you, pray for you, long to see you that I may be filled with joy. You know that that is a close relationship, wouldn't you agree? And here's the thing: relationships with that kind of emotional intensity only exist where there's been a deep commitment to a level of proximity and vulnerability. do you seriously think that we can get to this level of relationship? Let me just be blunt here by just turning up every Sunday. And I'm being tongue-in-cheek because that would be good if it was every Sunday. (laughs) But do you think that that's going to happen just in this... It can't happen in this context. Paul and Timothy shared all of life. And so why do you think that we go on here so much about connection groups? Why do you think we go on so often about accountability to one another? Why do you think, in these times of winter blues, are we saying you guys have got to make a conscious decision to commit to one another because you are not going to see uh, the, the levels of uh, the deep levels of commitment to proximity and vulnerability outside of that context, and you know what, what you are denying if you don 't want to commit to that you de- 're denying yourself the opportunity to see the gospel at work in people 's lives. You can h- come here, here Sam. And if I get the presentation slick enough, it can sound really credible, but it's only through the relationships that you will have with these brothers and sisters in this place that you will get its plausibility. It's only in the trials and the sufferings that you will see in your fellow Christians and the joy that emerges out of that that you can say, hey, whilst I'm not going through that, the gospel actually works. That's why we do groups. It's not a religious exercise. That's why we do church. It's not a religious exercise. Torchbearers pass on the flame in close proximity. Is that true of you tonight? Is there a Timothy in your life? Is there someone you long for and pray for and wish you could be with and desperately want to hand over the the, the very heart of the gospel that you've been guarding? Is there a Timothy in life? Is there a Paul in your life? Are you in close relationship with someone who's older and wiser and is like the... Rails in the bumper bowling, I always talk it like that, that can sort of keep you in check if you're a young person like me and you're on an emotional roller coaster every month. Have you got someone who's wise and steady and stable in your life? Have you got a Paul? Throw it out there. Finally, guys, you've got a... Headbands, the whole lot. I, I was ready to carry this torch and I never got the call. But if I did, I would protect that flame. I would protect that flame so that no one got in between me and that precious flame. I was ready for it. I'd studied kung fu, all sorts of martial arts. And like we saw in those protests in London, the massive security details, I would have had police around me. There would have been sirens. There would have been the whole lot because torchbearers protect the flame at all costs. That's what Paul says, verse 13. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So Paul talks of guarding the gospel. He talks of this gospel, this flame in two ways, sound teaching and also a good deposit. And so there are two implications here. What he's saying is that, that this flame, the gospel, is a treasure to be held onto. And the other thing is that it can be easily lost. Now, firstly, how is it a treasure? You see, the gospel is wealth and riches for whoever embrace it. Part of Jesus' gospel, I came to give you life and have life to the full. The gospel is God's way of living life. And, 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 and whoever has believed in the gospel finds a new wonder, a new life, and a new victory over death that they didn't have before. <laughs> Hope and joy, all the, we know all the benefits. We throw the words around at church. It's part of our Christianese dictionary. But it's a treasure, right? The gospel's a treasure. But how can it be easily lost? That's what he says also. Some of the ways... Again, can I be really blunt? Sheer laziness. You know, the, the, the things I lament in my own life, the, the lives that I know that I'm traveling with is just so often, we couldn't be bothered picking up the word of God. And if I was to say to you that there are words so amazing, so incredible that, that could keep a guy in the middle of a rotting, dark, dungy, wet Prison Absolutely brimming with hope and joy. If I said are those sorts of words floating around out there and you won't find them on the shelves of borders and not just because they've gone into liquidation, but (laughs) you won't find them on secular shelves. You will find them in the word of God. If I said those words were available to you, would a friend Christian, would that wake you up to the joy and, and, and the benefit that can be found from reading the word of God? We forget the gospel because half the time we're not reading what the gospel is. The other one is, <laughs> I experienced this week, it can be these, these, I call it atomistic tiny approaches to the Bible. People on the other end of the spectrum, there are some people that get so caught up in the little bits of the Bible that they get so obsessed with it, you know, creation or the book of Revelation or some particular word, that they just get so obsessed with it they miss the bigger picture. <laughs> The gospel gets lost in all that. And see, we've been having some funny calls at the office lately. Mikey would attest to this. Susan would as well. She answered it this week for me. But I I got a guy who'd been reading our website and our statement of faith in there. and, uh, And he started quizzing me on all these sorts of questions. Why do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And prove to me why the Holy Spirit is there. And, and show me the verses that are talking about it. And and it started getting more and more heated and more and more heated. And it's all this church teaching. And you and your phony Bible colleges, I tell you what, it's just a waste of money. And I was feeling pretty down because I got my hex bill from the government. It's almost tax time. And so, you know, there is a cost for the gospel here. Four years of university. And, and you know what? It, it wasn't helping me understand it more. It was It was just plain offensive. Have you ever been around people like that that want to sort of explain the minutia of the Bible to you so much that you actually lose the gospel? You see, what people like that are missing here, and I hope I never become one of those sorts of guys. That's my accountability to you guys. If ever I do, um, shoot me. Um, Paul Paul says, verse 13, what, what they're missing, what he's saying, verse 13, is the pattern of sound teaching. And so it's not just about laziness and it's not just about the minutiae, but there's another thing here is that people often are not taking the time to work out how to learn how to read your Bible. You get caught up in the the little bits. And so this responsibility to guard the gospel in the little bits can turn into defensiveness and negativity and it's demanding and it's condescending and it's judgmental, but there's a pattern. It's not tiny bits of data, it's how you understand the whole thing. And it's done in a spirit of faith and of hope and of love in Jesus Christ. And so the exercise, it's not just an intellectual exercise, the Bible here. There's a spirit here that helps us. There's a spirit that helps us tease that out in connection groups in the, on Sundays. There's a final way that, uh, that the gospel can be lost. We talked about this. I won't go into great length because we talked about it in the book of Galatians. Remember in the early parts of the Galatians, Paul, you know, he's talking about Demtel Christianity. He says that a different gospel is no gospel at all. He said, uh, what he was saying is there are always voices that are going to pull you offline with the gospel. That was Peter's story, right? He got racist. And Paul said, you are not ortho walking. You're not walking in line with the gospel. There are always voices that are going to pull you off the gospel, voices that want to, sub- uh, you know, you're going to have subtraction. I'm a good person, but I don't need the work of Jesus. And then there's the work of addition. The gospel's a really powerful thing, but if you do my counselling course on understanding the self, you really get to know God in a whole new way, and you'll really feel right with Him. Like, no, that 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 that's that's the gospel plus. There are always going to be voices pulling you off that, and there's a pattern of sound teaching. And so, what I'm trying to say here is, how do we how do we guard the gospel? It's found in his first letter in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, Paul's simple answer in terms of guarding the gospel is watch your life and your doctrine closely. Guys, the Bible, doctrine, sound theology, it might sound boring, but it's a matter of life and death as far as Paul is concerned these voices that can pull you either side of the gospel. He says, protect it with the utmost importance because the gospel is the truth of God. And when you start messing with the truth of God, you start messing with a message that is life-giving. Paul says that in the first verse. It's a life-giving message. And when you start messing with that message, uh, then you start mucking around with people's lives. It's a matter of life and death. (sighs) Have you ever seen that comedy show, Just for Laughs? Sometimes you see it on a plane. They, they set up all these different pranks in the theme of torches. I saw one on YouTube where they actually set up a fake Olympic torch flame and they gave it to someone and they were running through and um, they turned a sprinkler on them. And so uh, they're running through and then they deliberately put a little latch which snuffed the flame out. And they had um, people cheering and they had uh, all the Olympic gear and that sort of stuff going on. And they were just zooming in on the faces of these people when they realised that they let the flame go out. And they were absolutely horrified. Like they're people with their heads in their hands, they were, they were just absolutely horrified. <laughs> now, here's a question. Should, should you leave here tonight feeling petrified that you're going to muck this thing up? <laughs> should you uh, have that same sort of face that I'm going to get out of here and there's, there's going to be a spiritual sprinkle? And there will be sprinklers in your life, by the way. You know, It's not some crazy guy in London that wants to put a fire extinguisher on the torch. And I skipped over this, but suffering and opposition to the gospel in this world, we're going to hear more about it in this letter, but there are people with fire extinguishers out there, guys. There are people that want to snuff out the message of Jesus Christ in this world. And so should you leave here that you're going to cop a fire extinguisher when you go to work tomorrow? Now, what what Paul does is he reminds us in verses 12 and 14 that it's God who guards the gospel. Verse 13, he says, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know, at all costs, protect the gospel, but do so with the confidence to know that God, he knows the gospel, he's God, it's his story, is the one that's going to see it continue to move forward and it will never be snuffed out. So protect the flame at all costs. Jiu-jitsu, whatever martial arts you currently know, Hey, before we finish up, I've, I was wondering, a bit of trivia, where did, where did this whole torch relay thing come from? And I was looking up Wikipedia, and I got a bit of a, a surprise. It was a bit of an irony, if you know, and you might be chuckling, because I didn't realise that the whole torch relay thing actually started during the um, 1936 Berlin Olympics. So in simple terms, the torch relay was started by the Nazis, and... I hate you write a whole message on this sort of stuff. And then you go, oops, if anyone knows what I'm talking about, they're thinking, mate, you've been talking about a tradition started by the Nazis um, just before World War II broke out. And that was the whole irony because, um, you know, here's the head of, uh, of, of the guys there at the Olympics saying, the supportive knightly battle awakens the best human characteristics. It does not separate but unites the combatants in understanding and respect. And it was, uh, of course, Adolf Hitler who wrote that quote as part of the 1936 Olympic Games. Here's the irony. A man talking about global unity through the Olympics plunges this world into the greatest level of disunity and horror and suffering that human history has ever seen. And suddenly I realized that Olympic flames, and isn't it funny how I remember the big cauldron there at Sydney and Kathy Freeman and her wonderful moment and the way people talk about the torch and the values that it has and all that sort of stuff. Isn't it amazing? We, all, we lift that flame up and we almost worship it when it comes to Olympic time. And even the values of unity and all the things the Olympics stood for in that time in 1936 could do nothing against the terror that was going to be inflicted on this world later on. Did nothing for unity did nothing about bringing the human race together. You know, the funny thing is the flame that we carry, uh, it, it gets lifted up as well. In John's Gospel, uh, chapter 3, Jesus, uh, John says that, uh, that Jesus said, um, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to him. Uh, there is a different type of flame, the flame that we've come from here, that was lifted up, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. There is a flame that's more than just big motherhood statements and issues that come out of the Olympics. It's a flame that, what is it? It's the one that Paul was so concerned that he could pass on to Timothy and on to the others and that we're the recipients of. It says in verses 9 and 10, But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, because of his own purpose and grace. And then there's a verse in here that I just uh, I love uh, in verse uh, 10, he goes on, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. There's a the, there's the gospel right there. But then he says, this grace was given us to us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. What he was saying is that God's purposes, the, this sort of torch relay that he was on, God, God had a direction to his love towards you, not just before you decided to start thinking about the church thing. God set the direction of, love, of his love towards you, not not, not not just before you decided to, to recognise what Jesus did on the cross. What the, what the gospel says here tonight is that God set the direction of his, of his love towards you before the beginning of time. And at the cross, at the great flame, the great uh, Olympic cauldron, as far as values and as far as the message is concerned that was lifted up on that hill in Calvary... It was from that flame that 12 young men and a bunch of other women eventually went and talked a piece of that. And as apostles were sent out into the world and took the flame, the message of the cross, into the very darkest parts of this world. They took that flame, they carried it into the world, and that if anyone that calls himself a Christian here tonight has been a recipient of that legacy, you are a torchbearer for the gospel. Protected. Protected. Over the next five weeks, we're going to continue to ask ourselves, what sort of legacy are we living? Torchbearers, remember where the flame has come from that they are carrying. It came from that hill. It came from the cross of Jesus Christ. Torchbearers, uh, also light the other torches in close proximity. Are you in close relationship with someone this week? But most of all, are you protecting the flame? Are you taking the time to read the word of God? Are you taking the time to live it out in your life, to protect the gospel? that was given to you, the flame that has carried this torch relay all the way down the years, from Paul to Timothy to his various babushkas, all the way down to us. Guys, guard the gospel. Protect the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a solemn charge to Timothy and it's one that we as Christians don't take lightly tonight. Lord, as we move into this series over the coming weeks, Father, I pray that you open up our eyes to the opportunities to light someone else's torch, to stop thinking about our Christian faith just as a one-dimensional thing, Father God, but to think of a a multi-generational process, Father God, a multi-generational calling, a multi-generational commission, Father, that we are currently on. Lord, it'll all happen by of the power of your grace and the way that you instill that into others. And Father, we recognize that tonight for those that we are investing in, Lord God, that we may never see the fruit of the words and the life like Paul's that has been modeled to those around us. But Father, may we take these uh, quiet moments now in this time of ministry to reflect on the sort of kingdom legacy that we are building in our own lives and ultimately the lives of those that are around us. For the flame that will never go out, Father God, we thank you for your gospel.